welcome to a special edition of Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined by my good pal, Michael Bailey. Uh, it's good to be back into the Back to the Bins studio. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they got the better studio space. Uh, maybe it's because we were, you know, out so long on Tales that they just... I, I think this was our original space. But they've got a cooler in here... And Spitaro, you know, he's 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 got that pizza oven. I don't know where he got it, but you know, apparently it works really well. I didn't bring anything to cook. So, no, no, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fine. Yeah, they they definitely have made the place their own, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they it's are, okay. They're doing great. They are doing well. They are doing very very well. Yes. <laughs> I. I must admit to being jealous. They seem like they are being taken much better care of by uh, my Dufo than we were ever taken care of when we were here, when the place was ours. You know how Dufo is. He always, like, like when you're new, it's like you're special, and he he, he likes you. But once you're around a little bit, it's it's like, no, 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 don't love you anymore. Yep, you're just... There's a new pretty girl. Yep, that's it exactly. You just become old hat. Yep, that's exactly what it is. We are just the old hats now. Uh, but it is good to be back in the old place, even though it looks completely different. Um, I miss the red shag carpeting, but, you know, the girly posters are nice. So, yeah. Not, not, I'm a little not. uncomfortable, but... <laughs> I don't like being surrounded by dudes and there'll be all these chicks around. It's just it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> well... We should probably go and just jump right into this sucker. You think there's oh, going to be... Yeah. Is there going to be any mystery on this, or are we just going to be completely upfront about what we're doing right out of the gate? What do you well, think? Well, I mean, I mean, now that we're in the episode, I think we can be. Uh, I, 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 can, I can honestly say that this is, this is an episode that Jose Rivera uh, practically demanded. As he mentioned on Facebook recently, as of this recording, that he he picked up this book and another book that we covered over on Tales. Ah, at the same uh, comic show. So uh, he, uh, he he made some comment about it, and I, and I said, you know, you may hear Scott and I talking about these real soon, and he seemed to be really excited about <laughs> that. So. Well, I know I'm excited because this is something that we have been wanting to get to, I mean, practically since the very first time we started talking comics at all. I remember this coming up very early in conversation between us, and now just seemed like a great time. This is sort of, this episode is sort of loosely a crossover, I guess you would say, with Tales of the Justice Society of America, but not really. And I mean, the whole reason we're doing this as a special issue of back to the bins is because while this came to the forefront of our minds once again by having recently covered uh, the fight or a fight between Superman and Captain Marvel in the t- in the pages of uh, All-Star Squadron, this particular comic that we're going to cover doesn't really pertain at all to the Justice Society of America. So nope. it just kind of put us in mind of this the fact that we have teased talking about this comic for as many years as we've been podcasting together so it just seemed like you know what now is the time so what we are are we ready to just go ahead and dive right yeah. into the sucker you think all right so this Pull is back the curtain, sir. 
all-new Collector's Edition C58. And if you're thinking, what the hell is that? It is more popularly known as Superman versus Shazam. Yes. Love this. Love this issue. The original cover price on this bad boy was a whole whopping two bucks. This was 1978 bucks. So, you know, that was a big deal for kids back then. When Earths Collide is the name of the story. It was written by Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Dick Giordano provided the awesome, and I mean awesome, art in this issue, cover to cover. Speaking of the cover, it's a a gorgeous, you know, I wrote here that it's a wraparound cover, but it's not really, though, is it, now that I look at it? No, you've got the the fight on the front cover uh, with uh, Superman and, and Captain Marvel, you know, whacking the hell out of each other, though it looks like... Looks like Superman's not so much getting hit as avoiding the fist, whereas yeah. he is obviously pasted mm-hmm. uh, uh, Billy with uh, Mary coming in to uh, sexually harass Superman from the back, <laughs> and Supergirl to uh, apparently stop that. But then on the back you have uh, Captain uh, Diamond Guy I, <laughs> with 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 the eyeball earrings and the eyeball on his cape. I mean, he kind of, I, at first I thought well, I was like, what the hell is with Lex Luthor? And I was also uh, wondering, uh, hey, look, look, look at his iPad. He's got the uh, comic right there on it. So he's apparently, uh, <laughs> apparently going to read the book just like we are. So that's great. I do love this cover, though. The cover oh, is absolutely. fantastic. It's an iconic image of Cap and Superman just duking it out, as you said. You've got Mary streaking in from the top, coming to kind of break things up. You've got Supergirl streaking in from the bottom. And... All of these heroes are doing what they're doing between two Earths that uh, look like they're slowly being drawn together. We'll learn more details of that inside. I just like the... I'm sorry, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I really love the cover copy on this, too. The Man of Steel Against the World's Mightiest Mortal. A 72-page super action novel, When Earths Collide. Uh The first time I saw this cover was actually in the documentary comic book confidential Hmm. that was uh, released in like 86 87 somewhere around there and it's it's a really good documentary about like the history of comic books it's kind of light on superheroes because they focus a lot on ec comics and then they really they devote like almost an hour to independent books Mm -hmm. from like the 60s and 70s with r crumb and uh, you know, the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and uh, Zippy the Pinhead and all that kind of stuff. It's where I learned about all, and Harvey Picar. It's where I learned about all those guys. But when they when they said, meanwhile, in the superheroes, they showed, and like, little little animation, like little basic animation of like Superman versus Wonder Woman and for Superman versus Shazam. And from the moment I saw both those covers, I was kind of drawn to them like, ooh, what What's what's going on over there? That looks that looks pretty dang awesome. And it wasn't until last year when we started talking about wanting to cover this that I finally went to eBay and scored a really nice copy for about twenty five bucks with shipping. Wow! Uh, which again is 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 what I'm willing to pay for this type of book, right? Because you're you're really not going to get a five dollar ten dollar price on these. It's just 
not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and if you do, it's going to be uh, the patented, uh, not in the Overstreet uh, grading guide, but in the Scott Gardner grading guide, uh, whipped to shit. Whipped to shit, yeah. Uh, so I wanted kind of a nicer copy and just lucked into it. It was one of those things that I don't think anybody was looking for it that week. So... <laughs> So, so there wasn't a fight. I I opened it up with a bid of twenty dollars. I won with a bid of twenty dollars, and the shipping was only five. So, I was very happy to get it though. A uh, couple notes before we really get into it. One, this issue was covered over on Superman in the Bronze Age, which is hosted by Charlie Niemeyer, and for the longest time, it was co-hosted by J. David Weeder. And then Dave started doing kind of a backup feature on that show, uh, which I thought was kind of cool, where for a year he was covering Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes stories. And then uh, this year he has switched over to doing uh, random issues of DC Comics Presents. And they covered this, I'm trying to find the exact episode number, but they covered this... uh, Quite a while back, in fact, I think they covered it right around the time we first were serious about covering it, mm-hmm. and then everything last year happened the way it happened, so right. uh, we never got around to it, and they did. Uh, so it was, um, I have not listened to that episode yet, uh, because we were planning on covering it here, I did not want to listen to it and then not know when Scott and I were going to get to it and then inadvertently uh, I don't want to say steal but inadvertently swipe something that they said right uh, because uh, that, that's just uh, I don't, I don't want to say that's that that that's that's something I would do on purpose but I didn't want it to be inadvertent I want it, I wanted it to be us talking about it you know so uh, they did it on episodes 80 and 81 of the uh, Superman in the Bronze Age. So after you're done listening to this, if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. Well, sir, I think you uh, I think you have our prologue here. I do. So just wrapping out the credits on this, we've got uh, Gaspar Saladino was the letterer, Adrian Roy was the colorist, and Julia Schwartz is the editor. Now, before we get into the... Uh, the synopsis proper here, I just want to point out one of the things I've always really liked about this comic. And by the way, I was racking my brains trying to think, you know, I, I honestly, I don't have any memory of where I got this issue, like where I got it, when I got it, how much I paid for it. I know I've had it for a good long while, but I also know that I didn't have it when I was a kid. This was one of those comics that I longed to own but didn't have when I was a kid. So I'm thinking somewhere somewhere in my adult collecting life, I have picked this up, but I just, for the life of me, I have no recollection of when and where or anything. It's just kind of strange. Usually I'm really good with that sort of thing. But anyway. Some shifty guy on the side of the <laughs> Something. Hey, kids, comics. <laughs> What's really cool here is I've always loved the inside front cover of this because it says... Uh, the uh, the great Superman Captain Marvel matchup, and it gives you a side by side comparison of the two heroes, highlighting you know simultaneously their similarities and their differences. And I just just to give you an example of of what they're talking about here, I just think this is really cool. I've always gotten a kick out of this. So like Secret Identities, for example, 
you know, so you have a Superman column, you have a Captain Marvel column. So Superman, Clark Kent, news anchorman for uh, station WGBS-TV, Billy Batson, news reporter for station Wiz-TV, and Origins. Superman comes from the planet Krypton, gains superpowers from Earth's lighter gravity and yellow sun. Captain Marvel, given the powers of six elders, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, by an ancient wizard named Shazam. Home bases, Superman Metropolis, of course, Captain Marvel, New York City. New York City? Which I had completely forgotten that. I was thinking, wait a minute, shouldn't that be Wiz City or whatever it was, or Fawcett City? But I had forgotten that it, at, during this time he was actually New York-based. I'd completely forgotten. But what's neat is you, you run down the list here, and again, comparing the similarities and the differences between the two, one of the things I thought was really interesting is Superman has so many more powers than Captain Marvel as far as you know, he has heat vision and super curing and all these other things that essentially Cap's got the power of flight, he's super strong, he's super durable, but there's a lot of powers that, that he lacks compared to Superman. But Superman in the weaknesses column is arguably a lot weaker than Cap because it says here weaknesses. For Superman, you've got kryptonite, magic, red sun rays, anything from Krypton, which is really funny it says that. And then Captain Marvel, it just says vulnerable as Billy. So essentially not listing any weaknesses for Captain Marvel, which I think that's pretty cool. That's actually very interesting, very telling. Where was the one? Oh, this was the one I really got the biggest kick out of, though. Arch enemies, bald scientist Lex Luthor, bald scientist Dr. Thaddeus B. Savannah. And again, just comparing and contrasting the, the similarities and the differences between the two of them. There's an entire list of them here that I'm not going to read through them all, but it was really interesting. And it helped uh, inform my knowledge of some of the things of the character that I didn't know. Again, I not remembering exactly when I got this, there were things that I didn't know about the backstory of Captain Marvel. Because as much as I love this character, I will admit... Never read a lot of the older stuff with Captain Marvel. It was really stuff from right around this particular era when he was first being introduced in DC and forward. I've I've read precious little of his original tales because, honestly, I don't enjoy them all that much. The the lighter tone, the sillier, um, you know, more tongue-in-cheek cap, not really my guy. I like him as he's presented in this awesome story. So let's go ahead and we're going to dig into this awesome story. And I'm just going to start right here with the opening splash page. I'm just going to read the copy as it exists here because I think it's really cool. So it says, He was sent from the exploding planet Krypton by rocket to the planet Earth, there to gain powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. He is Clark Kent, mild-mannered TV anchorman. Yet he is also far more. He is Superman. Uh, and today he must face his greatest challenge. And it says, He followed a mysterious figure into a darkened subway tunnel, there to meet the ancient wish- wizard Shazam. Now, when newscaster Billy Batson speaks the old wizard's name, he gains the powers of six elders, becoming the world's mightiest mortal, Captain Marvel. And today he too must face deadly danger. When Earths Collide. So we start this tale off with actually a prologue. 
on the red planet Mars, high atop Mount Olympus, highest peak in our solar system, sits the fortress of the mad immortal and totally snappy dresser, Carmang the Sorcerer. The incredibly bizarre-looking villain uses his mystic powers to summon forth from the void two, count them two, fantastic supervillains whom we, lo- whom we thought were lost forever. Black Adam, archenemy of Captain Marvel, and the Quarmer, the freaky evil beach sand version of uh, the Man of Steel, Superman. Carmang has called them forth to do his bidding, but Black Adam takes orders from no man, or so he says when he charges at the sorcerer. But one magical whammy later, Black Adam is begging for the job just to make the pain stop. The Quarmer wants none of that. He don't he doesn't want no pain. So he swears fealty to Carmang. So what's the gig the bad guys want to know? Carmang says, hey, check this out. You know how there's multiple Earths, right? So I need you guys to put magnetic attractors on Earth's S and Earth 1, homes of Captain Marvel and Superman, respectively, so that they're drawn together and they destroy each other. Wow. (laughs) That's a great plan. Well, that moves us to Chapter 1, which uh, my page won't turn, so that really (laughs) fucking sucks. Chapter 1, simply titled Superman. You know, it's one of those warm, sunny days which make the city of Metropolis the most livable urban sprawl in America. It's a day to think of sports, picnics, of swimming, and tennis. It's a day to watch the Metropolis Meteor uh, Metros play baseball in Metropolis Stadium, and apparently um, it's also a day for Steve Lombard, world's worst supporting character, <laughs> and Lois Lane watch as Superman goes after a flying saucer that attacked the stadium where Steve was covering a sporting event. The villain, who is never named, it looks like. I, I didn't see him. Did you see a name for this guy? No, I, I did notice that, that he has no name in this story. Uh, had built his multi-machine to fight the police, but not Superman. So when the Man of Steel shows up, it is bad news bears for this newscomer. As he tries to escape, the villain thinks about all the places he didn't go and all the heroes he didn't face, because he figured if he came to Metropolis, uh, that Superman would be too busy to notice him. Superman does notice him, and by notice, I mean he punches the villain across the city. I mean, he literally punches the villain across the city. Back at the WGBS building, Morgan Edge is bawling out Steve Lombard because Lombard somehow managed to forget to load a videotape into his camera, which makes me wonder how the camera was working in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't know about any video cameras you've ever used, but if there's no tape, it didn't work. Luckily, Clark arrives with video and saves the story, but pisses off Lois for some reason. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Shortly thereafter, Clark is anchoring the nightly news when the building comes under attack. Clark sneaks off and changes into Superman, and the blink of an eye, he evacuates the entire building, even the man and woman that had snuck into a closet to make the beast with two backs. Boy, are they embarrassed <laughs> to be standing outside the building naked as the day they were born. <laughs> it's not actually in the comic. I just have to imagine that it was happening. I mean, this was like the late 70s, early 80s, right? After making sure the building is empty, Superman finds the man responsible for the destruction. Floating above the street and swinging an eye beam like he was the Sultan of Swat is... Captain Marvel? Superman asks, what the heck is going on? And, Marvel reply, and Marvel's reply 
is to hit Superman with the beam. He follows that up with a left cross. Superman has had enough, and after contacting his cousin via my least favorite superpower ever, Super Ventriloquism, Superman fights back and knocks <laughs> Marvel to the ground. Thanks to the narrator, we learn that this isn't Marvel at all. The faux Marvel hits Superman with something called the Judgment Ray, which will distort the Man of Steel's judgment and make him irrational. Black Adam, Marvel was Black Adam in disguise, by the way, leaves just as Supergirl arrives. She asks her cousin if he is okay, and oddly, his response is to say that not only will he make Marvel pay, he's going to kill him. Interlude. Castle Carme. <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst name ever. Uh, back on Show me Mars. the Carmang. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to say that. Back on Mars, Carmang the Evil, which is a name that kind of limits your job prospects, muses on Adam's success before being haunted by a collection of spirits he calls the Undying Ones. See, thousands of years ago, Carmang got into his head that he wanted to be immortal. His forbidden experiment, I, I think these are officially called the Krona experiments, <laughs> resulted in the death of, well, a billion people. And though he remained immortal, the billion dead Martians lived on in a ghostly form. So they basically haunt him, which sounds a little different than the story from the prologue, but you know, whatevs. Carming the evil muses on Adam's success before being haunted by a collection of spirits that, again, are called the Undying Ones. See... Did I just repeat all of my notes? How the hell did I do that? <laughs> I It repeated itself like three times. What the hell? And this is a sequence that does not bear repeating three times either. Yeah, I, I was about to say. So basically they haunt him, which sounds a little different from the story from the prologue, but whatever. Okay, going on to chapter two. <laughs> what the hell? How the hell did that happen? Alright, you're gonna leave all that in too, because that's yes, funny. I am going to leave all that in. <laughs> Alright. Chapter two, simply entitled Shazam. In New York City, on the world known as Earth S, Captain Marvel streaks to the scene of a collapse at the Brooklyn Bridge. The world's mightiest mortal uses his incredible strength to hold up the falling section and prevent motors from uh, plunging into the drink. But now what? Without heat vision like Superman has, Cap can't just weld the bridge back together, and if he lets go, the section will fall. Thankfully, one of the stranded motorists on the bridge is none other than Mary Batson, twin sister of Billy Batson, Captain Marvel's alter ego. With one magic word, she transforms into Mary Marvel and comes to Cap's aid. She takes his place so that he can fly off, only to return moments later with several old rusty junk cars in his hands. He proceeds to use his powers to cram the old clunkers into the gap, kind of like a dentist filling a cavity, and temporarily mend the bridge. Their work complete, Mary and Cap part ways, and the captain resumes his guise of young Billy Batson in order to keep his date with his girlfriend. But his downtime doesn't last long when, from the window of the malt shop they're sitting in, Billy catches a glimpse of something that causes him to ditch his girl and go to investigate. Changing back into Captain Marvel in an alley, he flies to the World Trade Center, where he finds only the usual crowd of tourists. Uh, guess Billy was wrong, Captain Marvel thinks to himself. 
he couldn't be here. After all, what would Superman want on this Earth? Good question, as we cut to, quote-unquote, Superman, having slipped Cap's notice, planting and arming one of Carmang's devices. This, of course, isn't, or, excuse me, is really the Cormor. It isn't really Superman, it's the Cormor. And he is so disguised in order to implement Phase 2 of the Sinister Plan. Carmang knows that the heroes could easily join forces and defeat him, but... If they were sufficiently distracted, say by battling one another, perhaps the sorcerer's plan could proceed unhindered. And so, to set things in motion, quote-unquote Superman, stealthily flies up behind the unsuspecting Captain Marvel and clouts him on the back of the head. Cap slams into a building and through a brick wall. He turns to see his attacker is... Superman? But why did you hit me, Cap asks. Superman says there's no time to explain and that he is challenging Marvel to a duel. To the death. He blasts at Cap with his heat vision and misses, but knocks a sizable chunk of masonry loose that threatens the folks below. Marvel streaks to their rescue and scoops the helpless bystanders out of the way, asking himself if Superman can really be a madman? Depositing the citizens he's rescued, Cap confronts Superman again, and this time, with apologies, socks the Man of Steel with a solid left to the jaw. The imitation Superman, having had a taste of Marvel's strength and knowing he's no match for it since he does not possess the real Superman's full strength, decides now is the best time to use the secret weapons supplied to him by Carmang. He blinds Captain Marvel with something called the Judgment Ray and taunts the hero to join him on Earth-1 to continue the fight when he recovers. Mary Marvel arrives just in time to witness Superman's departure and assists her injured brother. But Cap shrugs off her help, telling her to shut up! He is pissed. Maniacally so. He's suddenly realized he's better than everyone else, including Mary, including Superman. And he's off to Earth-1 to wallop the Cape Kryptonian personally. Stunned, Mary decides to follow her brother on his journey to the Rock of Eternity. Back at good old Castle Carmang, we learn what the hell this is all about. Seems eons ago, Carmang did something bad. Something that caused everyone on Mars, except himself, to basically die and become bodiless wraiths that have haunted him for thousands of years. Driven mad by his restless victims, Carmang has finally devised a way that he thinks will restore them to life. But the energy required to do this is enormous. Uh, To generate the needed power, Carmang must cause a cosmic calamity. Hence his plan to smash Earth's S and 1 into each other, causing a catastrophic explosion that will fuel his machine. In order to ensure his success and no interference from the protectors of said worlds, Carmang has set the table for the Battle of the Ages. Superman versus Captain Marvel. Chapter 3, Superman versus Captain Marvel. (laughs) Imagine that! Superman and Captain Marvel call each other out before Superman knocks him into the WGBS building. Sadly, the debris does not kill Steve Lombard, and Lois refuses to leave because she's Lois, and that's what she does. Marvel throws some of the building at Superman, but he shrugs it off, as if it were nothing, 
and hits Marvel with a blast of super breath. Mary Marvel tries to reason with her brother, but Captain Marvel shows how useless that is by hitting Superman once more. Mary is stopped by Supergirl. And uh, if you were thinking that this was going to turn into like the mother of all cat fights, and you were going to have Rich uh, Buckler draw two really hot women going at it, uh, no, they, they just compare notes. Through exposition, we learn the origins of Black Adam, first champion of Shazam, who used his powers for evil, and Quarmer, the Saiyan Superman from Kryptonite Nevermore. And the ladies decide the best way to solve this is, is to find the real villains. As Supergirl flies away, we learn that Mary has a serious case of the hots, and the only cure is a dose of the Man of Steel. <laughs> Stat. In other words, she thinks Superman is a hunk, and since he's super powerful, and she's super powerful, and not her brother, well, I think you know what I'm talking about. An hour goes by, and Superman and Captain Marvel continue their fight. The battle causes a blackout, and we even see some of the citizens of the city get all scared and stuff. Interlude. Another freaking interlude. From his castle, Carmang watches the battle and feels alive for the first time in ages. Back on Earth-1, Supergirl flies to Egypt in search of Black Adam. She finds him in a pyramid, and Adam greets her with a solid backhand that sends her flying. On Earth-S, Mar- Mary Marvel finds Quarmer, uh, but the action cuts back to Earth-1, where Black Adam is attempting to flee the pyramid with the Ibis Stick, which on his world is possessed by a hero, but on Earth-1, it is all Adam's. Supergirl uses her super breath to... Well, I wanted... I originally wrote to suck the stick away, but that just sounded <laughs> wrong. So she basically inhales and the stick flies out of his hand, from, uh, out of Adam's hands. And she uses it to transform him back into his human form. On Earth-S, Quarmer surrenders. Turns out he is a moral creature. Feels just awful about what happened. He also lays out everything... Uh, that's going on for Mary as we cut to chapter 4 the Superman Captain Marvel battle has reached the Grand Canyon where Air Force jets have been ordered to shoot them down because now they are menaces to national security Marvel thinks about how he can pull victory out of this mess and decides to try and find a way to use his magic against Superman as everyone knows it is one of the Man of Steel's weaknesses especially when Jimmy Olsen blabs it in the Super and the Kryptonite Nevermore story. <laughs> the two heroes take out the Air Force jets as the two machines designed to draw the Earths together activate. Meanwhile, Supergirl and Mary Marvel head to Mars. Along the way, Supergirl gets an idea and has Mary contact the Wizard, who meets Mary outside of the Rock of Eternity. Back at the fight, which is now in Texas, Captain Marvel thinks about how he could use his lightning against Superman when the Wizard shows up and tells him to keep the fight going. Marvel has little choice as Superman moves in for another round of fighting. Interlude. Mary and Supergirl burst in on Carmang, who attacks them, hitting Supergirl with some of his magic. Mary grabs the magic fireball Carmang intends to use as his next move, but the battle is good and the battle is good and joined. On Earth, Superman knocks the seven bells out of Captain Marvel, and when he lands to stand over Marvel, the Man of Steel is shocked, shocked I tell you, by what he has done. The wizard appears and tells Superman that Captain Marvel gets weaker the more he stays in this universe. He explains Carmang's plan, and soon Marvel and Superman are off to take care of the machines the evil sorcerer had planted on both Earths. On Mars, Supergirl revives as Mary Marvel grows weaker. In Metropolis, Morgan Edge, Steve Lombard, and Lois Lane watch as Superman and Captain Marvel fly back into town. 
The sky is filled with lightning, which they figure is a result of the machine. Superman plans to, uh, to temporarily shore up Earth's magnetic pattern by speeding around it at super speed. Somehow. <laughs> he asks Marvel to help, and the good captain agrees. Superman speeds around the Earth, and somehow his plan works because Marvel is able to smash the machine to pieces. On Mars, Supergirl moves at super speed to activate one of Carmang's machines, which sends him into limbo as Supergirl grabs Mary and flies her back to Earth. So, back on Earth-S in New York... Superman basically catches us up to speed, saying that uh, he and Cap repeated the same trick. He sped around the Earth, shoring up the magnetic field. Cap destroyed the machine. And it's all just pretty much yucks at the end of the story here as Mary Marvel puts the moves on uh, the much older Superman, literally, like, just jumping into his arms. And really, uh, she looks like she's going to plant one on him. For some reason, this really upsets Supergirl. Now... Okay, it's not like she's Superman's woman or something. She's just Superman's cousin. So as we've pointed out many times before, something kind of creepy going on here. So in order to kind of, I guess she's trying to show Mary how silly she looks or something, Supergirl starts doing the same thing, macking on Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, of course, you know, while he's, you know, like this as Captain Marvel, he's an adult, but he's really just a kid. Mary knows this, so she rushes over, breaks up Supergirl and Captain Marvel, and starts scolding uh, Supergirl about how sh silly she looks and everything, and then suddenly she realizes the trick that was being played on her. She's all embarrassed. She's blushing, blushing and saying, holy moly, while everybody again yucks it up. And they walk away uh, all together as a group at the end of the story with kind of the sun either rising or setting over the city in the distance. Kind of reminds me of the end of uh, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, although they're not arm-in-arm -arm in this particular shot like they are in that. And then the very last panel of the book, you know, despite his stupid costume, despite the fact that he was trying to kill 12 billion people, I can't help but feel sorry for Carmang the evil evil loser whatever his <laughs> moniker was here because now he's standing wearing this ridiculous outfit and screaming for all eternity and i would do the same thing if i was going to be forced to dress like that through uh time <laughs> and memorial so yeah i i hope people don't mind uh, what's about to happen because as much as we both uh, i think i can speak for you as much as we both love this story and think that there are so many awesome aspects of it there are a lot of how the hell does that oh, yes. moments so <laughs> um for me uh, it, my first note was you can really tell that this was still kind of following not on the coattails of but in the wake of the Shazam television series mm -hmm. because it, in both the uh, you know the the comparison thing on the inside cover and on the splash page um, they are referred to as the elders right that give him his power. Uh, my first, not negative note, but my first, like, wow, that's unfortunate note, is, you know, we, we have, he, has, he was sent from the exploding planet Krypton to, by rocket to the planet Earth. 
there to gain powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. He's Clark Kent, mild-mannered TV anchorman, and yet he is also far more. He is Superman. And then you get over to Captain Marvel. He followed a mysterious figure into a darkened subway tunnel. There he met a wizard. <laughs> yeah, they do kind of give him short shrift. So so Superman has this epic thing, and, and Captain Marvel has like a, a lifetime movie of the week plot. You know, bad things usually happen when you follow strangers into abandoned subway tunnels. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, uh, um, man, this villain sucks. Uh, he is awful. I don't know. I mean, Rich Buckler pulls off this costume okay, and I'm, I'm assuming he designed it, because I don't know if this uh, character appeared anywhere else. I was just going to ask you if you knew that he... I doubt very seriously that Carmang was ever used <laughs> before or, or after this story. But, see, this is what I think is the awesome thing about this. I, I'm not usually this forgiving, but in this particular instance... I am completely forgiving of the fact that the plot's kind of stupid. The yeah. villain is seriously lame because this is, I mean, this is nothing more than let's find the flimsiest ass excuse that we can <laughs> that doesn't require like, you know, tons and tons and tons of explanation or exposition to just get these two to beat yeah. the living hell out of each other for 72 pages. That's the real beauty of this particular book. And it's really hard to convey that in an audio medium because, you, you know, you've got to synopsize it. When you synopsize it, it doesn't sound probably all that awesome. It's the art, man. Yeah, this yeah. Book Rich is, Buckler just makes oh, it Oh, yes. This book is completely about the art. And that's the beauty of this is that one thing I had always wanted to see as a kid is Superman busting loose. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you mentioned the Shazam TV show. That is my identifier with Captain Marvel. And again, as much as I loved that show as a kid, as, as much as, you know, that really thrilled me and all cap on that show never battled anybody you know I, no. I i don't i i could be dead wrong but i don't believe he ever threw a punch it was kind of like it was kind of like the hulk tv show the it hulk was a show, filmation show for yeah. one thing so i mean it was a kiddie show so i'm sure that there were all kinds of tenants about violence and things like that so i remember cap like swooping in and he'd like stop a car from plunging off a cliff or you know give the kids a stern talking to or maybe he would fly down and you know, the bad guys were making a getaway in a pickup truck, so he'd lift up the back so that the wheels were off the ground. Shit like that. But, you know, he never, like... <laughs> that is everything the Hulk did. Yeah, it, that's what <laughs> I mean. Except the stern talking to. That right. would have been kind of funny. I mean... <laughs> You know, so, like in the Hulk, Sorry. he would maybe, like, pick up a bear and fling it or something. I don't even think <laughs> Cap did anything. I think maybe Cap picked up a snake one time and threw it or something. But, I mean, never anything like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is your two big guns just wailing the bejesus out of each other. And so to a kid, it, it's just, man, yeah. it, you know, well, not even so much a kid. I mean, looking at this book takes me back to being a kid the the incredible stuff that's going on here and even beyond just the fights 
I like the super feats because the the very clever way that Cap comes up with how he's going to fix this bridge. Page, uh, what is it, 23, where he's jamming these old clunkers into the gap is just gorgeous. It really gives you a sense of just how powerful this guy's got to be if he can mold cars like putty mm-hmm. and, and jam them into this gap and, and fix it. It's just great because what I like about this chapter, whether intentionally or not, this showed the fact that, you know what, Th- this guy might not have heat vision and super breath and all these other amazing powers that Superman has, but being able to fly and incredibly strong, hey, that's nothing to joke at because this guy can do everything Superman's doing without those powers. I I think that's cool. I think it's in, it's very clever to show he's just as bit of you know of a hero and super powerful, and in this case, a threat because the fight between the two of these guys is it's excellent. It's also one of the few decisive battles between Superman and Captain Marvel because usually they fight pretty much to a standstill, which isn't the case in this particular book, but that's jumping way ahead. Yeah, what what kind of saves it on the villain front, and, and again, there's, only, there, there's kind of a disappointment in this, but not really, but what kind of saves it is that, you know, we've talked, when, when you, Chris, and I covered the two... Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. So when we mm-hmm. covered the Superman versus Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. you know the the one thing we all we kind of brought up was the fact that you know they always seem to choose like specific villains that are kind of for that time period, like the the the, the enemy that the hero would face off against. Right. So in the first Amazing Spider-Man versus Superman, you have Lex Luthor and you have Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the second one, you had Doctor Doom and the Parasite. Okay, that one doesn't work as well, but still. Mm-hmm. And in Wonder Woman, you had Baron Blitzkrieg, and man, that fight between Superman and Baron Blitzkrieg was just great. Yes, and, and all that. So, and, he, and, and in the Hulk, you had the the Joker and the Shaper of Worlds. <laughs> Shaper of Worlds, yes. Uh, but anyways, who here, to this day I have never seen in another comic book story ever. I'm sure he's been. I just don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here you have Black Adam. Now, from the moment that I really started getting to know Captain Marvel in the comics, uh, which would be like the fall of 1988 when I finally got my hands on uh, Shazam, A New Beginning, and in the Who's Who entry even, I have loved Black Adam. Oh, yes. I am a sucker for the opposite of the hero. Mm-hmm. You know, Reverse Flash. Sinestro. Uh, not so much Bizarro, but I guess he would fit that bill. You know, the one that has all of the powers, Venom, is all of the powers of the hero, but he's a bad guy. And, right. and, and the reason I think I like Black Adam so much is he's got this really cool design. He's got the yellow lightning bolt, the yellow belt and boots, and the gauntlets like Captain Marvel, but it's black. See, this is what I want for Superman. I want Superman to have a black Adam. Mm. And to my memory, he's never really had one. But Not really. Uh, of all of what, uh, of the type of, of villain that you're talking about, 
you know, the opposite number of all of them that there are. And I'm sure if we if we put our brains together, we could probably rattle off a thousand of them because it seems like most every really good hero has one of all of them off the top of my head. I think Black Adam would be my hands down favorite because you're right. He has an awesome design. He's a great character. And of course, not at this time in comics, but much later on, Black Adam would get fleshed out as his own man, his own character. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it was easy sometimes to forget. No, wait, 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 wait. This guy's a sick, evil bastard because you'd get to like him so much. He was. He became very quickly the Namor of the DC universe. Yes. Yes. You know, he he had done, and and you know, Jeff Johns tweaked his backstory, which. You know, I have problems with in general, but with Black Adam, I think he did such a good job of making kind of a compelling reason. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, his, his his origin as explained in here is that he was Shazam's first champion and he just went evil. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. I like that. I'm not insulting that. I think that is just as valid a motivation of somebody getting drunk on power and going bad. Okay. But when you tweak it that he was the first champion and because he didn't act as decisively as he thought he should have, his family is killed. So then he becomes much darker in his crusade that, you know, he just basically starts killing people and Shazam's just like, no, 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 stop. And that's what kind of puts him on this path. And then with the power of Shazam, he kind of reconciled, you know, the evilness of Black Adam in that series by basically saying that Theo Adam, who was the person he was kind of reincarnated into, was a bad guy with a brain tumor. And once that was removed, that's when Black Adam became started becoming that anti-hero that eventually into 52 became the one storyline in 52 that I liked above all others. And I just love this character and seeing him here. Now, I would have loved to see Superman and Black Adam go at it. I Mm -hmm. think that would have been great. Because when Gail Simone did that in Yes, I was just going to say. Before Crisis, Infinite Crisis, man, he. Black Adam punches him dead in the face. It's just like, stand down, Kryptonian. So seeing him here was cool. The fact that he didn't really get to fight Superman. Eh, but not okay. But it's okay because he, you know, he got to fight Supergirl. Quarmer ended up being like the non-entity of the thing because he does something bad and then feels bad about it. He he's it. the parasite of this story. Yeah, he's exactly. very much the parasite of this story. You know what's funny is uh, for a time, uh, you know, post crisis and everything uh, in the in the era that you were just talking about for a time. Black Adam was more often used and arguably more popular than Captain Marvel. He was definitely more visible. And so for a time, especially right around the time of the Gail Simone story that you're talking about, I would have been thrilled. I, I thought it was kind of headed this way, and it, it sort of was, and then it or, or sort of seemed to, and then it didn't really happen. But it seemed like... Black Adam could become part of actually Superman's rogue gal- uh, rogues gallery as opposed to Captain Marvel's. Because Captain Marvel just kind of fell to the extreme background there for a while. Yeah, I'm actually cool with that. You know, if, if Cap's not going to be fully utilized and, and only be used sparingly or what, 
I like that idea of making Black Adam more of a Superman rogue. Because, again, I think they are excellent when they square off against each other. Because here you have a, a villain that is at least just as strong, possibly stronger than Superman, with none of those you know, morals or any of the things that are going to hold Captain Marvel back when he fights Superman. Here's a guy that can go toe-to-toe with Superman and just beat his ass. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, 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 I like that whole dynamic between the two of those characters. So... I would have actually been down for that as much as I'm not cool with with Cap, you know, not being visible more. Outside of uh, not really liking the super ventriloquism, uh, the um, the introduction of Supergirl into the story was just was really cool. I thought it was it's kind of sexy, actually, <laughs> a little bit of a way of seeing her change into her costume. I just, uh, this is one of the few times where I've seen this costume and really liked it. Uh, and I think that has everything to do with Rich Buckler. So maybe <laughs> if Rich Buckler had drawn it more, I would have liked it more. <laughs> uh, the uh, All of the interludes, yeah, they kind of propelled the story along, but it really got kind of annoying after a while. Because I, I just wanted to get back to the fight. Yep. You know? uh, I did like all of the stuff going on in Earth-S. I liked Billy going on a date. And I really liked Mary Marvel in this story. Yes. Uh, I thought she was used, her and Supergirl were used to an excellent degree, which is a terrible way to say that. But seriously, I think, you know, when I saw them on the cover, I'm like, ah, they're just going to be there and maybe they're going to fight and all that. But no, they're pretty integral to the plot. Uh, So, you know, kudos to Jerry Conway for that. I really need to read more... God, I have the entire world's finest run. I really need to read more of Captain Marvel from this time period because if it's more like this, then that is a Captain Marvel I really want to read about. And uh, Buckler just draws a wonderful Mary Marvel. I never really think of her as being sexy because she's kind of like a kid, so it's a little. It's a little. It depends. Little it, it depends because this is the weird thing here is that she and and Billy are supposed to be twins, yet Billy's drawn. In my eyes, Billy's very much a, a young kid in this, where Mary looks like she's the contemporary of Supergirl. Like like yeah. she's, you know, late teens, early 20s kind of thing. So I really don't think it's that creepy with Mary here to find her very attractive the same way as Supergirl. Because I don't think she's drawn to be, a, a you know, a young girl. She's a young woman by this point. And yeah, I do think she's very sexy in this. I've always the, um, I've always oh, thought the the costume and the design of the character was inherently sexy anyway, but like you say, she in a lot of those original stories she was supposed to be a very young teenage girl. So yeah, I always thought well, that's a little bit creepy. But not, this is the one exception I will give right here because I don't I think Buckler was intentionally drawing her to be a a, a more mod you know seventies woman as opposed to a girl. Now, I have seen Superman mad a lot of times in my comic career. <laughs> I don't think I have ever seen him as pissed on the two-page spread of chapter that introduces Chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, he looks angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Captain Marvel! <laughs> and, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't think there's, there's very few things scarier than a seriously pissed-off Superman. And he's maniacal looking in this this part of the yeah. story. I love it. 
But the fight is just incredible. Just the 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 sheer the scope of it. It's not like they're just fighting in Metropolis. They go to Metropolis, they go to Niagara Falls, they go to the Grand Canyon, they go to Texas. I mean, it, it just escalates and escalates. And, you know, in terms of what's going on with Mary and, and Supergirl, the Supergirl-Black Adam fights over a little quickly, but I like it. In fact, in that last panel of that on page 51, Supergirl looks like she's just going to knock the hell out of him anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. I love the amount of detail Rich Buckler put into Quarmer, the sand Superman. Oh, yeah. He looks fantastic. I mean, he looks sandy. And he's colored that way, but there's actually a lot of depth into his face, except in that last panel on page 51 where he looks like he ate too much cheese. Um, but no, this this for me was just incredibly entertaining. Uh, it was it was nice to finally see on page 58 uh, that panel that I saw referenced uh, before. I don't know if it was Tomorrow's or, or before. Uh, a, a comic magazine that was very short-lived in the late 90s came out. They put out this Kingdom Come Companion, which was this thick book that was just basically talked about Kingdom Come, had a ref- had a interviews with Mark Wade and Alex Ross, and it had a listing of every character in it. And one of the things it talked about was the fact that in Kingdom Come, uh, Alex Ross had Captain Marvel you know, say Shazam and then grab Superman and electrify right. him. This was his inspiration for that. That moment in the in the fight. What's him thinking about doing it, but deciding, no, that wouldn't be fair. I'm glad you brought that up because I failed to make a note of that in this, but I remember when I reread this just recently for this recording, and I chanced to cross that, I felt really silly because I have long hated that 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 has become such a thing in modern tellings of fights between Superman and, and Captain Marvel. And I had thought that that entirely came from Kingdom Come, a story that I, I will admit I don't think deserves the, the reputation that it has as this big, awesome, epic thing. But anyway, that aside, I thought it spun out of that. And to see that it goes back at least this far... I, I had to kind of take some of it back. You know, I was like, ooh, I guess there actually is precedent for this. This isn't something that was just invented for, for the Kingdom Come story. So I, I did not remember that, and I was shocked that I didn't remember that. But, no, I I think on a plot level, the only thing, that, on a writing level, the, the only thing that really kind of bugged me was that it was Supergirl's idea to get the wizard involved. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a little weird, but the fact that the wizard was waiting for Mary when she came to the Rock of Eternity, you could almost no prize it that basically the wizard nudged Supergirl into convincing Mary that that was the way to go. Now, why he wouldn't con- contact Mary directly is entirely beyond the point, but... Yeah, and then that ending with uh, Mary throwing herself at Superman... Um, that was kind of weird. Yeah, it's totally weird. Well, the thing too is, you know, you bring up the thing about Supergirl being the one to contact the, you know, to have the idea to go to the wizard. Also, throughout this entire story, several times, you know, Superman or Supergirl will say something about, well, Captain Marvel, 
you know, this, I know this about this character or Captain Marvel or Mary would go, well, we know this about Superman and his set of powers. And I'm thinking, how the hell do they know this? Because unless I'm missing something here, they only met briefly. And I mean like super briefly in justice league of America, one thirty-seven prior to this, right? I don't think yeah. there's any other meetings between those two characters ever. Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of either. And so it's like, how do they suddenly know so much about each other? You know, right down to how their powers work, what their vulnerabilities are, where they get their powers from, who they report to. I mean, everything seems to be known about each other between the two characters. And that was... I mean, it didn't, like, take me out of the story or anything, and it's probably necessary to a certain degree to the, you know, to the telling of the story, but at the same rate, it, it was a little bit irritating, too, that, no, these guys, I, I wish that this was handled a little bit more Marvel Comics style, where it's just, there's a misunderstanding, you've got Superman on one side, Captain Marvel on the other, they don't know each other, they don't know anything about each other, and they just start beating on each other until they realize, hey, this guy can take it. And then they really unleash on each other. I would have liked to have seen it handled a little bit more that way, but that's nitpicking because, again, at the end of the day, this stands tall as one of my absolute favorite, just not necessarily comic stories, but just comic battles. I mean, if you mm-hmm. just want to kind of, I hate to say it because I, I so often kind of dog this sort of story, but if you just kind of want to turn your brain off and just munch popcorn and have a blast watching two superheroes, you know, to, to my mind, two of the greatest superheroes just beat the shit out of each other, you know, beautifully illustrated. I mean, this is it, man. I mean, that page, page uh, 62, where Superman finally gets like the decisive shot of the battle in. It's a full mm-hmm. page, you know, full splash page, you know, in this oversized format just looks gorgeous. And this looks like if this were a different time or a different sort of story, this looks like a killing blow. I mean, Superman is totally unleashed and unhinged and just creams cap. I mean, just lays him out. And it's brutal. I love it. And I love the follow-up page where, you know, Cap looks like he could be dead. And Cap just, or Superman just comes uh, screaming out of the sky and realizes, oh, my God, I just, I I killed this guy. What have I done? I love it. Absolutely love it. And again, very similar to Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, where something very similar happens where Superman realizes he's about to take Spider-Man's head off. He's like, whoa, 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 wait, what am I doing? I love that. I love Superman just... Ah, what the hell? Yeah, just (laughs) just losing it and then having to come back from that. Love this sort of thing. Absolutely. No, it's, you know, this is where that magnificent episode of Justice League Unlimited, Mm -hmm. where they uh, squared off in that uh, short film, basically, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But that short film that was released a couple years ago, that uh, that was excellent. Yes. Uh, great animation, great music. I mean, you know, unfortunately, it seems like when these two get together, everyone wants to see them fight. But, you know, when you think about it, I don't have a problem with them both existing in the same universe. Nope. 
because I think, you know, you can tell, you know, you don't have to, just because Captain Marvel's doing something doesn't mean it's like, well, why isn't Superman doing this? Well, because he's not in Fawcett City, so <laughs> Captain Marvel's in Fawcett City, let, let's let that go. But at the same time, these two together, there there isn't a whole lot for them to do together. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, they they... They team up, they uh, they fight, and they beat the bad guy, and that's pretty much it. You don't want to see that too much because it'll dilute it. Well, here's so. the funny thing, though, is that I was thinking there's not – I mean, there's a good precedent. There's a, there's a good number at this point of stories featuring both Superman and Cap together. Mm-hmm. Usually, they fight in those stories. Nine times out of ten, it's them versus each other. I would like to see more stories of them just simply working together because as crazy as this idea is going to sound, you know, if we could get decades and decades and decades out of world's finest out of Superman and Batman, I think we could get some serious mileage out of a Superman Captain Marvel team. See these guys get together on a regular basis and go out and just totally kick everybody's ass. You know I mean? You've got the, the two powerhouses here. But that's the weird thing for me is I look at world's finest stories like I look at Punisher stories. I don't want that on a monthly basis. Right? Yeah, that's, that's very when, true. I want when Superman and Batman team up, it's because something's going down, mm-hmm. and they're the only ones that can really take care of it. So uh, because of that, I always, you know, while I will not disrespect the you know the the decades that they were in World's Finest together. Because it produced some great stories, produced some kind of lackluster stories, but overall produced some, you know, pretty fantastic stories. You know, nowadays, I really don't want to see them teaming up unless it's it's a big deal. I don't want, you know, I, I would like them to be, you know, they're friendlier now. Right. They refer to each other as friends in the New 52, which is kind of amazing. Um, and, you know, they they have a book together, which is of varying quality, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, what I thought was one of the weaknesses of Superman-Batman, especially after Jeff Loeb left that series, was now you have to come up with the blockbuster every every six, four to six issues, and not everybody is capable of that. And there's only so many stories that you can tell like that before the audience is going to think, well, this is just commonplace, who cares? Right, this is true. So, I'm, I'm not discounting your idea, I'm just... Basically, you know, I, I, I think these things should be kind of special. And yeah, it would be great to see them work together. That would be that would be really cool, actually. Because I, uh, I just can't recall that happening very many times. I mean, the, the only one that immediately comes to my mind is there was an issue that uh, Roger Stern did of uh, Superman, uh, Man of Tomorrow, where the two of them team had a great cover where I think they're mm-hmm. standing on the Rock of Eternity. And I just remember being that I don't remember the details of the story so much, but I just remember for a change, they didn't fight that. It was just the two of them just getting together and hanging out, which I like because I, I could see if if they could get past the fact, you know, the, the, the need to every time these guys get together that they're scrapping with each other. I could see Superman and Captain Marvel. I could actually more easily see these two guys being buddies and hanging out than I actually could Superman and say Batman, who at the end of the day are completely dissimilar characters. 
not just in temperament and the and the way they approach crime fighting and everything, but just in the fact that you know Batman, he's just a dude. Yeah. And Superman, I would you know I always like st- stories where Superman was struggling to find people that that he could identify to hang out with. Like that's why he went and spent so much time with like uh, the New Gods and Supertown and all that sort of thing. Here's somebody that I would think he could relate to at least on a power level but then again in the in the era that that you and I were more familiar with and more uh more liking of that Captain Marvel had the mind of Billy Batson whereas that's not really how he's portrayed here Cap is portrayed here as pretty much his his own his own guy yeah, it, it, he refers to Billy in, like, the third person. Yeah, as a completely separate entity. But then post-crisis, that wasn't really the case. Billy was Captain Marvel, just in a... Yeah. It was, so it was a, it was a scenario similar to, like, Tom Hanks in Big. Same guy inside, just different body. With I, the wisdom of Solomon kind of guiding him where he needed to go. Right. And see, I used to like that scenario. Now I'm not so sure I like that. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of go back and forth on that. I would like to see it in a movie, only because I like the idea of an actor kind of having to have that challenge of, I've got to play. Basically, you're a teenager, so you're like thirteen, and you've got the body of Superman, and you can fly, and you can toss crap around but in your head you've got this voice constantly telling you the right thing to do right and i like that idea i like the idea of it's just like well i'm gonna go be oh no i shouldn't do that no the voices are telling me not to, i've got voices in my head and it's just I, I think that would be an interesting if you're gonna play you know we've talked we talked in the in the uh in the episodes of tales that we covered that two-parter Right. That, you know, of how you could handle Captain Marvel in a movie instead of darkening it up or having him be like the light of hope in a grim world. There's your struggle. There's your, you know, your emotional center of the film is not only is this, you know, this, you know, it's the ultimate wish fulfillment, but what does that actually entail? What does that mean for Billy? You know, if you're going to play it that way. Now, having said that, if they go with he's kind of like another person, then I'd be okay with that too because it works here just fine. Kind of weird, but it works fine. Well, see, that's the thing is it's strange. I've never really thought about this before, but I have heard Captain Marvel described many times over the years, especially when I was a kid, that he was, for a child, the ultimate wish fulfillment. You say one word, and you do what every kid wants to do. You grow up. You become an adult. All right, that sounds really cool if it was the post-crisis Captain Marvel scenario where turns into Captain Marvel, yet it's still Billy that's in control. But... Now that I think about it, that's not the way it was pre-crisis. He said his magic word and became an entirely different person. So how is that wish fulfillment? Yeah, you're becoming an adult, but suddenly it's not you anymore. And it's funny that 
I never really thought about that. I wonder, did other kids ever think about that, that, that you're giving up being you in, to let the hero come out and play? So how ultimately is that really wish fulfillment at all? It just seems very strange to me. No, you're absolutely right. I wonder if it's just one of those things that people, you know, you just didn't think about. You know, not not in, not in a you're too stupid to think of this, but more of a, you know, you're here to have fun and, and read this story. I have not read outside of the origin story, which was in the se- secret origins of the Super DC Heroes. I've not really read all that much Golden Age Captain Marvel. Right. I don't know if I really want to. I mean, I've I've heard how good you know the Monster Society of Evil serial was. And, you know, how well that, you know, kind of played out. But knowing my tastes, it, it I, I don't want to read it and then not like it and then feel bad that I don't like it. Right. Because, like, part of me feels like I should like this, you know? Right. Like, I, you know, this is something that I should dig on, like, but I don't. And now, you know, it's not like I'm not a real fan, but still you have those kind of concerns. Right. So... If it is more lighthearted and whimsical, that might be fun, but I've got to be in the mood for that. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I read Power of Shazam, it's right in my wheelhouse of in terms of creators, in terms of tone. You know, I recently reread the first like 12 issues of Power of Shazam. And for years I always said, "Man, they just they just rushed through this. They should have they should have taken longer to introduce all these characters, but the way it reads now, all at once, it reads great. And I, I'd really like to go through the rest of the series at some point. But, you know, if you want a, if you want a film version of Sh- Captain Marvel, just use Power of Shazam, the graphic novel, as your, uh, right. as your storyboards and your story idea, because everything is right there that you need. Right. I need to, you know, I, I have the entire run of that series, and I to this day I've never finished it. I, I was enjoying the series, but you fool. Yeah, I need I'm to sorry, go. That was that was wrong. No, I need to. I need to go back and finish it because I'm not sure why I never did finish it. You know, especially with having you know a complete run of the series. But uh, but no, you know the identity thing. I mean, even the TV show was that way, because here you had Billy who was much older you know he was uh he was a uh uh you know i'm not sure how old the actor himself was or how old he was supposed to be but i would say he's he was probably 16 17 years old something like that and he would you know again he would say the magic word and become a completely different person because billy wasn't in there because there were many instances where mentor would be there and and cap and he would talk and he didn't call cap billy he called him captain marvel and they would refer to billy in the third person or when when billy and mentor would talk about captain marvel they talked about him as if he was a completely different person so i never had the sense that it was billy in there controlling the actions you know of the of the hero so that is really strange that that has become identified as as ultimate wish fulfillment when really no I I don't think that is at all. If you're giving up your identity to to let someone else come out to play, I don't quite get that. I mean, that's much more of a Marvel Comics Captain Marvel scenario, you know, where you had the nega bands and the negative zone and all that sort of thing. 
now I kind of understand more why they did that and why that in a lot of ways is a more um, uh, honest homage to that particular iteration of the character. Cause I don't, I don't recall that ever being addressed. Where does Billy go when Captain Marvel comes out to play and vice versa? I, I could be wrong. Maybe there is a story out there somewhere that addresses that, but I don't recall that. There must yeah. uh, there must be some sort of explanation because you know in the in the All Star Squadron story we just looked at, Hitler was able to split them into two physical beings. So again, <laughs> to use your line earlier, how the hell does that work? <laughs> but no, I, I just think this was an amazing story. I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk about it. We can kind of cross this off of the list of the you know one million comics that you and I. <laughs> uh, have talked about covering, and now finally we uh, we've gotten to it. So that's just fantastic. Yes, I'm just happy. I don't know what character they could have possibly brought in on Superman's side to balance things out. Maybe Crypto the Superdog, but I would love love to have seen Captain Marvel Junior as a part of this story as well, because I'm a huge Captain Marvel Junior fan as well. Mm-hmm. But again, I you know this is at a time where there was no Superboy that uh, existed concurrently with Superman and and Supergirl. So I, I don't know. I guess really Crypto would be the only other one they could really bring in, which that would be kind of a weird, weird fight. You know, Crypto versus you know if they did indeed fight, because uh, Mary and Supergirl certainly don't fight in this. So maybe Captain Marvel Junior and Crypto wouldn't fight either, but. That would have been interesting, I think, just to you know to complete the family, so to speak. Absolutely. But yes, that is all I've got on this. I dig it, guys. If you have never read this story and you love comics, you love Superman, you love Captain Marvel. If you've never dug into this one, you are only hurting yourself because it is top to bottom gorgeous. Regardless of the goofiness of the story, the art is just not to be believed it is so pretty this was recently reprinted i couldn't tell you the name i I think it's just called superman versus shazam i think but i know it was very recently reprinted uh in a trade paperback format now i would imagine it's got to lose something going from you know this awesome oversized format down to the uh, trade paperback format but then again what it probably gained in the new printing process and coloring and all that probably kind of offsets the fact that it. It also includes all the DC Comics Presents issues. Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. That I did not realize. Yeah, that would make it worth worth the while right there. Those are uh, those are by Buckler too, aren't they? Are all of them by some Buckler? Of them are, so, yeah. Some of them are. Okay. I don't know if all of them are, but I know some of them are, and and one of them is by Gil Kane because right. he did the annual right. Uh, I love so much (laughs) where Savannah gets the powers of Shazam and immediately starts going up in rank. He wants to be Captain Savannah and then Major Savannah and then General Savannah. It's great. So I wonder what all stories are in there. So there's this one is in there, that annual. And then what is it? There's like issues. What is it like 30, something like 36 and 37 and like 49 or something like that. You have, it was released uh, about a year ago, um, 
Yeah, I'm on February 20th, 2013. You have When Earths Collide, which is 72 pages. Uh, DC Comics presents 33, 34, 49, and annual number 3. Okay, so I was off in the 30s, but yeah, nailed 49. Look at that. And <laughs> Buckler draws everything but the annual, which is done by Gil Kane. Yeah. Well, hell, maybe uh, maybe at some point we can get to those uh, DC Comics Presents issues, too, if we really feel like it. We need to rope Rob Kelly in if we do that, though, because he's a huge Captain Marvel fan. I have, would have no problem with that. So, uh, And he and I have kind of bandied about talking about those issues. So, alrighty, we're teasing for the future for stuff that may never happen. <laughs> Yay us! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocore of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.